Talk lines open now at 247-2000. Good Monday morning, my friends. Michelle here with the Greater Ketchikan Chamber of Commerce for Business Matters Monday right here on First City Forum. And boy, uh, that was a great summer we had. Sure didn't feel like it now, though. Hey, first things first, we've got the governor's office on the line. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? Well, good morning, Miss Michelle. And all of the rain that you're having now, we have in Anchorage. But here in the lovely Kenai Peninsula where I'm working today, it is gloriously sunny with blue skies oh i'm so jealous <laughs> but at least you guys finally got some rain up there in anchorage you guys needed it right oh yeah yeah i think we had an inch in a day oh wow huh. well that's still, yeah, not, still yeah. not as so, good as catch can because that's it's usually kind of like an inch an hour here <laughs> well yeah yes yes well you chose to live in a rainforest michelle i don't know what to tell you <laughs> i know i'm not complaining at all not complaining at all it sure beats uh what are they just saying on the news like it's gonna be 108 in dallas ew so real quick story my my daughter turned 18 on saturday and we flew my niece up uh from dallas uh and that was her graduation present she wanted to come to alaska uh, for, for my daughter's birthday. They used to live up here. And she, she, she was driving home. She said, oh, my God, everything is green and it's 72 degrees. I hate Texas. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Hey, uh, big news about PFD came out. 3200 bucks uh, hitting bank accounts September 20th for those of us that have direct deposit. And someone brought to my attention just before we got on the air that they thought, and I didn't hear it myself, they thought they heard the governor say in his uh, press announcement, $3,200 or more. Now, if I remember some of our conversations before about the whole process and scenario of the PFD, that kind of wouldn't be possible, right? Because don't they have to operationally set up the delivery of that uh, deposit and those checks kind of far in advance? Well, so, so the, the pool of cash is predicated by the number of applicants, actually the number of approved applications, and they are still going through the approval process, which is why, you know, frankly, September 20th is, is kind of a big deal. This is the regular permanent fund distribution, um, and, and it, it, there, there's a lot of moving parts to that also. There are other funds that may have a balance into it that would be moved towards the deposit fund. So it could be $3,201. It could be $3,300. It could be $31.99.99. I I, I have always held towards ish, (laughs) $3,200-ish. And... I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're a plus or minus 20 bucks on either side, I don't think anybody's going to really bellyache. Um, but, but, yeah, there, so there, there's, generally speaking, and we're, we're, what we're basically getting into now is, is uh, 3 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, one side or the other. But it could be, because what, what, what invariably happens is when we report a dollar amount, 
uh, some, some members of the media immediately get out their abacuses and uh, say, well, couldn't it be more or couldn't it be less? Yes. It, it could be any number of things. So if you're in the $3,200 ballpark range, you're good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, no, I mean, that, that was good. I didn't, I didn't know that, uh, that that's what they had to do. How, do you have a sense of how many people apply for the PFD who are not, quote, unquote, approved? Well, invariably, for the regular October deposit, there are between thirty and 50,000 people who have uh, their application under review because they applied outside of the state. They haven't provided the requested documentation. And, and I heard this number this, this, this past week. I'm like, you mean there, there are, and, and they, they, they said it could be anywhere from fifty to 80,000. They did the permanent fund division. Who, who people who they're still waiting on documentation to, to confirm whether or not they're eligible to receive a dividend. And, and we've been saying, you know, it could be, you know, would, would the governor propose a $2,500, $2,700 dividend in his budget, which is no small amount of cash, and now that it's $3,200, I can't imagine if you're somebody across the state who has received letters and calls from the permanent fund division asking for paperwork that you didn't hustle up and get that in because that, that is money you were in jeopardy of either getting late or potentially, if you really screw it up, not getting it at all. Oh, yeah. And so you, that is, yeah. I was just going to say, and, and, you know, just as a reminder to folks, you know, when, when they say people are not approved, there's a whole myriad of differences. And so little known fact is that uh, Rotary Youth Exchange, you know, where we send the kids out to other countries for the school year um, and when, you know, we have kids come here. But uh, the Rotary Youth Exchange kids are approved uh, for, legally approved to receive a PFD based on the program that they're in. However, for years and years and years, I mean, the better part of a decade, at least in my experience, those kids always get their PFD applications pop back to them uh, because you've been out of the country for a year. But it's due to the nature of the program, they've got some sort of special dispensation. So, yeah, you got to do the paperwork, folks. If there's, they're asking you for something, get it in. I always and had my paperwork sake, locked and loaded. <laughs> If you are sitting on a lanai in Hawaii in late March and you're like, oh, my God, i got to fill out my application, do not click, yes, I am currently within the state of Alaska. Uh, of all of the things government doesn't do well, tracking IP addresses for your PFD application, we do remarkably well. And that puts a giant red flag on your app. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, that's very interesting. I, I didn't know that because I would take that question to be, you know, are you currently in the state of Alaska? I mean, like, do you currently live in the state of Alaska? Um, but apparently if you're on vacation, uh, you better click the, sorry, I'm in Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah. And, and they'll probably, you know, you'll probably get a letter um, wanting clarification later. But what you're not going to get is a letter saying, we showed country when you swore all of the information was true and accurate. There's, there's two different levels of, of a screw-up. One is, I know I'm not in Alaska, but I'm going to click that I am. The other is, oh, I'm late, I'm applying, and I'm in Costa Rica, and I'm going to have to send some supporting documentation later. That, those are two different uh, uh, scenarios. And like I said, when, when, when I got word it could be 
fifty to eighty thousand people that are still we're still waiting on them to get their paperwork in. It blew me away. At what point are those fifty to eighty thousand people just out of luck? Like, okay, we've waited long enough for you people. Too bad. You know what? Uh, there is a portion of money set aside still for people who have not submitted their proper documentation for last year's dividend. Holy so smokes. I yeah, I I I do do not take this as gospel, but you got a little bit of I just for the life of me can't fathom why one would wait. No. I, I just uh, barring some sort of medical situation that precludes you from submitting it, I I, I I have no idea what the motivation would be to not get that documentation in as quick as possible. Well, especially, you know, as the governor noted, the, you know, just the the harmful aspects of this inflation that we're experiencing right now. You know, you're going to do a, if you're going to do a money grab there, that, that's an easy one to do because that's going to, for a lot of people, that's going to help them pay their utilities through the winter, maybe an oil bill. I mean, a whole bunch of different things. I met with silence. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we. Yeah. Are. Well, I, I, oh. I'm no. I'm. 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 I, like an idiot. I'm on the phone and nodding my head and agreeing with you. <laughs> it, it, it. I mean, I, I get to the airport two hours before departure guy. Um. So I, I like to get my stuff in soon. So if, if, if some of you are out there listening to Michelle and I enjoy our Mondays together, and you have not, you've lied to your spouse and said, "Oh no, I sent that in." You, you, you may be on the schneid come September 20th when, when you're asked, why, why isn't the money in our account? Yes. No, no, I agree. And, you know, we can't forget, I mean, statewide, the, the clear economic boon to local businesses when the PFDs come out. Uh, you know, there's just people that plan for that and they say, well, I'm going to buy my new living room set or I, want, I need to do this or I need to do that, uh, whatever, new appliances, stuff like that. I mean, that's how, that helps local businesses all over the state. You, you have a restaurateur that needs to put a new smoke hood in, and this dividend is going to help them make a big chunk of that new installation. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just on the consumer side. There are small business owners who they've had to replace their, their storefront sign for a year, and this will help take some of the bite out of that. They'll have to upgrade some of their equipment. This will help take the bite out of that. So I, I know that there are some elected officials who say Alaskans do a great job of wasting that money. I, uh, we, we don't think it's government's business to tell any Alaskan how they should or shouldn't spend their permanent fund dividend. No, no, I, I, I concur. So we were talking budget last week, and, and there were some interesting little nuggets of info there. You got anything else uh, that's interesting that folks may want to know about, about, about the budget, even though it's kind of a, it's a done deal? Well, I have heard in other communities that we vetoed money for the Alaska Marine Highway System, and I don't remember, Michelle, if I sent you that one-sheet summary of the AMHS uh, budgets uh, or not. So we, we, we have not reduced the funding for the ferry system. We are in the process of trying to source a replacement ferry, so there are... Uh, sailings that are reduced, that's based on fleet size and not based on budget cuts. 
Um, but 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 other than that, you know, uh, across the state, people are outside. They're either fishing or, or hiking or doing whatever. And honestly, the last big news item out of our office from an announcement standpoint was the deposit date for the permanent fund dividend. Oh, indeed. Well, hey, you made a lot of people's day when you guys did that, for sure. Now, you're on the road in the Kenai. What you doing down there, if I might be so nosy? So we have uh, we have a regional uh, office down here on on the Kenai that I, I haven't visited the RD face to face in a while. So I, I'm just down here for the day. I drive back up this afternoon, and uh, I, I came down last night, and it was raining sideways. And today, like I said, there's not a cloud in the sky. So it, it is it is quite nice to be here before I return back to Anchorage. That is getting Ketchikan rain. Nice, nice, nice. Well, hey, then I guess we'll let you continue on, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Michelle. Thank you. You have a great week. All right. Bye-bye. Well, hey, folks, that'll do it. Dave from the governor's office, always informative and entertaining, I might say. I've got Charlie Artson in the house, and we're going to talk real estate. I love talking real estate with you. And, you know, this is I'm so glad that you came because, quite frankly, housing and real estate have been so top of mind awareness in our community. And if I might put you um, on the spot with another hat that you wear, which is the Planning Commission, uh, Front page news in today's paper, the uh, Borough Assembly uh, is looking at at, uh, approving some of those rezoning um, efforts uh, around the community in order to kind of, what is that, to just give more flexibility to property owners so that they can either maximize their footprint or or something along those lines. Just maybe just people can have more uses for their land. Yes, I'm so excited about the work that is happening uh, on the Planning Commission side and that the Borough Assembly is pushing forward. I'm really excited to be here and get on my soapbox about real estate. So thanks again for having <laughs> me today, Michelle. Um, I've got in front of me the four highlights of the code amendment that was proposed. And if, oh, I just, I'll try to keep, stay concise. Um, but if anybody has any questions, are, they can call in, right? Yep, 247 2000 if you've got a question. All right, so the planning department has tried to, everybody wants more housing stock, right? I've got tons of statistics here I can share with folks, but ultimately part of the reason why our prices are the way that they are is because we have such little inventory on the market right now. Um, It's not just a catch can problem either, folks. It's not, it's all over the the country. We are seeing some markets, you know, where the inventory is increasing, uh, but ours is not one of them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that the borough is trying to do is create avenues for individual private owners to have more housing stock or to bring more housing stock online. One of the things that you can do in the Ketchikan Gateway Borough is called a DADU. It's known as a DADU. It stands for uh, Detached Accessory Dwelling Unit. Um, in the borough, our zoning is a limited a little bit in that you can in most places have a single family home or a duplex. But if you want to have a triplex or a fourplex, you have to go get a conditional use permit from the planning department. So of the four things that the planning department has put forward, one of them is a mechanism so people can administratively get a permit for a triplex or a fourplex on a 5,000 square foot lot. In the past, when they brought us the statistics and we were going over these code amendments, they told us there were like 65, I think, applications for these detached accessory dwelling units or these, um, you know, turning something into a triplex or a quadplex. And 
the reason, the number one reason why they were denied was because of parking issues, parking concerns or complaints. So there's a public process. Yes, you are allowed to do what you want with your property, but if the impacts for you doing what you want on your property, you know, if they, if they negatively or, or substantially impacts your neighbors, then there is a public process in which they can come forward and we can address those concerns and we can create special rules or circumstances or conditions for an individual owner to be able to have a triplex or a quadplex. So what they're saying now is they won't have to come before the planning commission anymore to get those permits if they can provide one off-street parking spot for every bedroom. So it does it. Yeah, it's a little, uh, still <clears throat> a little difficult maybe in some neighborhoods in Ketchikan, but if you can do that, then you can go to the planning department and get a permit and you don't have to have a public process. <laughs> I'm envisioning a lot of triplexes and fourplexes out north. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and the nice thing, too, is that even in the in town. So when they came out with the housing needs assessment study, if anyone doesn't know, you can actually go and read the 2018 housing needs assessment study called the CHAP that the borough paid. Um, and they talk in there about the fact that we have such little multifamily dwellings in our market. Um, so this is just one way that we can hopefully start bringing some of those online, even in those 5,000 square foot lots in the city. Um, so we'll just kind of see how those things shake out. Um, the other, one of the other things that they did was create another PUD. So PUD stands for Planned Unit Development, and it's a relatively new zone for the Ketchikan Gateway Borough. It's been, I don't know, two or three years, I think, since they instituted this code change. We've approved, I think, two or three PUDs. And in the before, it was a minimum two acres. So you had to have at least two acres of land. And essentially, what you could do is you cre create a blank canvas for your property. So if you own two acres and you want to have mixed use and residential and maybe some light industrial type uses on that property, you create a plan. You submit the plan to the planning department. They make sure it checks all the boxes. And then it goes forward through the planning commission and then on to the assembly for approvals. Okay, so like if I wanted to build a shop... Uh, on the front of my property, mm -hmm. and then I wanted to have my house behind that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so th because, the z like I said before, the zoning or the codes are relatively limited. We, we live in a small town. Yeah. Um, they're pretty digestible once you get into them, but honestly, I, I had no idea about this stuff until I got on the Planning Commission. I've been on the Commission since 2014 and learned a lot about, uh, about the codes. So one of the things that they did or that they're moving forward is making it so you can do a PUD, a planned unit development, with as little as 10,000 square feet if you are only using it for residential purposes. So if you, let's say that you wanted to buy a piece, of pars, a piece of property and put like five little houses on it. There wasn't really a mechanism for you to do that in our code, like if you want to create a family compound or something like that. Um, and now with this new amendment, you have that option. And so it's a similar thing where if you have at least 10,000 square feet, you can uh, put together a plan, say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want my zone to be. Essentially, you create your rules for your property. You submit that to the planning department. They'll help you tweak it, you know, if there's anything that's inconsistent with the co current code. And then it goes before the planning commission. So there's... I'm so I could, I could put five, five uh, tiny homes on my property. Yes. And okay, so in case folks don't know, let's give them a visualization of kind of what a 10,000 square foot lot looks like and what a 50,000 square foot lot looks like. 
So 50,000 square feet is just over an acre of land. Uh, 5,000 square foot lots are what we typically see in the city. Now, if you're in downtown or, you know, some of the places that were mapped or built on prior to 1955, then you're going to see those what we call substandard lots. So those don't meet the minimum standard for the zoning code, which is 5,000 square feet is the minimum lot size. Uh, I Part of the other conversations that's, never mind, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we'll stay, stay on your question. So 5,000 square feet is just what you typically see. So when you drive down 1st Avenue and 2nd Avenue and 3rd Avenue and here in town, those properties sit predominantly on 5,000 square foot lots. Um, if you're looking at 50,000 over an acre, then you're most likely out north um, in the maybe D1, D2 area. It's I have people call me every single week from not Alaska and they say, I want 10,000 acres or 10,000, or excuse me, I want two acres on the water, southeast facing, you know, all of this, this thing. And I have $50,000 to spend. And I'm like, well, if you can find it, please buy it and call me and we'll sell it for more because the, <laughs> the inventory is not there. We don't have that. Like people have this idea that Alaska is this big, great last frontier. And so they should be able to come out and get acres and acres of land. But it's it's pretty rare. Gravina. Yeah. Oh, oh, Gravina. 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 My Gravina getaway. I sure love Gravina. I'm hoping to see some more development and, and exciting things Looks come like out over there. Looks like it's moving forward. Oh, I don't give me on my Gravina soapbox. <laughs> They're still logging over there, at least for another year so and a half or of, so. So lots of changes uh, in front of the borough assembly uh, this evening in order to kind of spur this this housing growth idea. Yes. And, and you know what I think is really great is there's a number of different entities working very, very hard on this um, behind the scenes and not behind the scenes all over town. Um, KIC, you you know, you've got various business people, uh, developers, and so on and so forth, who are really working on some very exciting projects. Hopefully, that'll bring some relief to, I mean, I see it every day. I mean, there's You want to talk some numbers? Oh, okay. So let me tell you about the call I got last week. Okay. Okay. This is just for people out there, okay? This is how so radically it has changed, just in my humble observation. Guy from the Navy calls me, real nice guy. He is freaking out. Uh, they they come up uh, most years uh, to to work. I, I'm assuming it's out at the sub base or somewhere like that, but for training for about three weeks. He he cannot find a place to stay. He's calling me now, right? And they've been looking, and now they're freaking out. For 22 to 26 people. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I oh. said, oh, my goodness. I, I was I was kind of speechless. He's like, are you still there? I'm like, <laughs> I said, I'm kind of I'm thinking of people you can call. Well, I eventually referred him to one of our chamber members uh, who is known for creating just little poof magician stuff. She's able to make stuff happen. And so I, I haven't heard back. So I'm assuming that she was able to solve the issue. But I said, in the future, you really need to start a lot sooner. Yeah. A lot sooner. I, and I've been in real estate now 11 years, and I used to tell people between the months of April and July, if you're looking for a place and you find something that works for you, you need to secure it right away because it probably won't be there tomorrow. Um, for the last year and a half, I've been telling people that year round, even November, December, January, it's like if you're looking for something and you find it, you just need to secure it and get it in place because the the market and the demand is so high right now. 
It is so high. And, you know, interest, I've been watching with, with rapt fascination um, the sudden movement of uh, some of the very large apartment complexes downtown. The 49er, the Revilla. Uh, Revilla just hit the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, 49er sold. Mm-hmm. And watching with rapt attention as to what use that those buildings will be. You know, that's it's like, what, 31 units in each building. It's a lot of housing. There's a lot of investors and, and people looking specifically for workforce housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, yeah, the demand is, is just insane right now. I'm working with a lot of folks that are investor buyers as well. And I'm seeing uh, investors are actually purchasing like single family homes to have rooms to give to their housing people. Well, and that was kind of a phenomenon five or six years ago, I I think I seem to recall, where we got real, real tight, not as tight as we are now, um, for some of the folks uh, that bring in seasonal, large amounts of seasonal work. I'm just going to use the Lumberjack Show as one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so they were, they would, you know, use their connections around town and they would find uh, various places for their staff to reside during the summer months. And it started getting really tight. And so then the movement in the market came where these folks, and I don't know if the Lumberjack Show did this or not. So, you know, I'm just using them <laughs> as an example because they used to, in the home that I own right now, part of that duplex was used for their staff, right? But they, so these people would go out and buy um, duplexes, triplexes, larger homes, and so that they would own them and they would have control over that workforce housing. Exactly. So they're not left without, or, you know, they can't bring their people and their workers to come get the job done because they've got no place to stay. I'm seeing it left and right. I, People leaving town because they can't find affordable housing, people getting job offers and then not being able to move here because they can't find something that they can afford. Um, so we, we just need more housing. So if you're out there and you're thinking about building or adding a second unit to your place, please, you are encouraged. And the borough, it sounds like, is all for supporting additional housing stock online. They're doing what they can. So it's really interesting. Um, years ago in Tallahassee, they built a brand new, uh, very planned, master planned kind of housing development called Southwood. And one of the interesting features about many of the homes that were in that particular development were they would have a, a house, say probably uh, 15 to 1800 square foot, um, and it, it was very master planned. And then there would be a smaller backyard, but then there would be a, an a alley-facing garage mm-hmm. with a carriage house above it. Oh, neat. So that would be an opportunity for some folks yeah. in Ketchikan if you had a garage to put that put a carriage house on top, which typically would be like a large efficiency type unit. Yeah, we are seeing some of those. I've seen a handful of those come across the Planning Commission desk here in the last six months to a year. Oh, good. Yep. Oh, good. All right, so let's let's talk real estate here. Well, I start- you, you have like millions of facts and figures oh. and graphs over there. No, Yeah, nobody really cares. They just want to know how does this impact me, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, primarily, one of the first things I like to talk about with folks is the absorption rate. So have we, have we talked about absorption rate yet? Not in a while. So the absorption rate, I say, is a pretend measuring stick to determine which direction the real estate market is moving. Is it going up or is it going down? The absorption rate tells us, based on the sales from the prior six months, if no more inventory comes online, based on those sales, how long would we have something to sell 
in the future, yep. right? So how long would I be in business, basically, based on the sales for the last six months? So I've got um, the statistics from July 14th, 2021 in front of me and July 13th, 2022. So in July of t- uh, 2021, the absorption rate was 3.91, which means about almost four months of inventory is what we have on the market. In I've been, again, doing it 11 years. Typically in Ketchikan, we have an 8 to 11 absorption oh, rate. Oh, wow. Okay. So usually... So that have, was last year. Yeah. So norm, like on that a normal, in the first year. 10 years of real estate, you know, mm-hmm. we're looking at eight to 10 months of inventory on the market at any given time. One year ago, it was 3.91. Today, or as of July 13th, it is 1.9. I have seen it as low as 0. 0.9 uh, in the last year, which is very scary it is it's a little unnerving like when you have that perspective like if nothing else if everybody decides never mind i'm never going to sell again you know we're out of business in a month or two there wow that's how crazy it is so last year at this time there were um uh 43 homes available this year 20 homes available and and let's talk about that let's unpack that a little bit because we're not talking about 20 homes that are no more than $400,000. Yeah. Right? So let's talk about middle America here. You know, it could be that those 20 homes, it could be that 15 of those are in excess of $700,000 in price. Right? Yeah. It could be. So the average sold uh, price for residential one year ago was three twenty nine. Five, so in July 2021, the average sales price was three hundred twenty-nine thousand five hundred dollars. This year, the average sales price, when sold, is three hundred eighty thousand seven hundred dollars. And and this is why you guys need to work with a realtor, folks, because now you also have to add into the equation rising interest rates. Oh, and they're getting ready to. They're threatening by the end of the month another half to three quarters of a point. Could be as much as a whole percentage point. So Dana Cherry from Northrum was in in last week, right? Yeah. And we were talking about that, and I was just curious because she had her 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 lender from Residential Mortgage call in, and I was like, "What are a lot of people going with the ten one R?" Good morning. You are in First City Forum. Hey, a couple of questions. Uh, what's the smallest size house that you could build on your property? Oh, that's a great question. I don't I, I don't think the borough has any limitations. You have to look at the location of the parcel and find out if you have CCRs. So if the local um, neighborhood has any covenants, codes, or restrictions that requires you to build a minimum square footage. I live out in Emerald Forest, and I know we have a 1,200-square-foot minimum um, size that you have to build. The biggest issue that I've learned in my real estate career is when it comes to the size of the home being built is insurance you need to make sure that you can get homeowner's insurance. So if you're going to build something and you're going to get a loan on it, you have to have homeowner's insurance. And um, you just, when I've talked to the Alaska Housing Finance Corporation and I've talked to uh, Nicole over there at Davies Berry, she's amazing. Um, She can give you the insights to make sure that whatever you're building is insurable and then you can get a loan on it. So those things all have to work together. Um, But there, as far as I know, there's no minimum borough code for house size okay uh, another good question let's just say if the house like you're saying this year's price is 389 mm-hmm. 
what is the monthly payment somebody has to make for that? Um, well, She's whipping out her calculator. calculator. Well, I, you know, I got to tell you, uh, someone in my neighborhood had a big yurt on their property. But, of course, one could argue that I live in one of the diciest neighborhoods in all of Ketchikan. <laughs> I live in the Wild West. <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, so, no, that's interesting because there, over the years, uh, you know, when I was here at the radio station prior to being at the chamber on First City Forum, well, there were a number of questions that folks were asking about about tiny homes, you know, just for mm -hmm. convenience. Of so you got that number for him? Yes, yeah, so I ran these numbers on for a $400,000 purchase. If you put 5% down on a $400,000 purchase, then you're at a 5% interest rate um, over a 30-year term. Your monthly payment and interest will be about $2,050, but then you have to add your taxes and your insurance on top of that, which is probably going to run you about another 250 on that price point. So you're really probably looking about $2,300 a month for your principal interest taxes and insur insurance on a $400,000 purchase with 5% down. Wow. Okay. Uh, another question. I don't know if you know the answer. Let's just say... My house is residential zone, so could I be able to set up like a lemonade stand or a coffee stand or anything like that? You know, it's just so funny that the question has come up time and time again. Wow! You know, being shut down, saying uh, you're not allowed to do this on the street. You know, because you know, like I'll see some kids selling lemonade this summer when it was hot. You know. Like, oh, there have been a ton of lemonade you know, stands this which year. Which is nice. I, I'm for it. You know, I just want to see if it's legal for. If I live in a house, you know, if I could set it up on the sidewalk where the tourists go by and say, hey, all right, mm -hmm. get some of this uh, million dollar or million people that come through here, get a chunk of their change from them. Because I'm sure they're going to be thirsty or whatever or a bag of change. Yeah, so, so and they're supporting locals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. So Is that legal? While I'm not an That's attorney, right. so I wouldn't be yeah. able to testify to the legality of it, I can tell you a little bit about what I know about the code. Um, this also makes me think a lot of the food truck issue that's been talked about a lot lately. So yeah. my understanding is you can do that on private property, right? You could set up a lemonade stand and, and do that on private property. Cool. Um, right. There are some limitations, you know, like if you're doing it as a commercial enterprise and you're in your lemonade stand, I don't think is going to get anybody too upset, but that we are a complaint based uh, borough, so or uh, enforcing arm of the of the borough. So if somebody complains and says, "Hey, they're out there every single day for ten hours a day selling lemonade, and it's causing people to walk on my grass or whatever," then you know you're probably going to have somebody come knock on your door or say something to you about it. Um, but as far as I know, on private property, you're okay. The problem comes in when you're on public public walkways or your your activity is blocking public rights of way. Um, and I think that that would be the biggest issue. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, you know like, causing the way traffic I look at it, like the sidewalk that's in front of my house. Our city tells me I'm responsible for shoveling the snow every winter on it. You know, so would that be like their issue? They'd be saying, "Well, now you're stopping people from walking on the sidewalk if they're stepping on your property to get a glass, you know, of lemonade or a cup of coffee or." bag of chips you know sure well when we do um concession type permits from the planning yeah. department that's the concern that we're looking at we your local planning commission is really dedicated to looking at the facts of the cases and 
and trying to spur on more development and encourage people to do what they want on their property. Um, but when what you're doing negatively impacts others, then we have to got a scenario. have some conditions. I got a yeah. scenario. Okay, like let's say I'm going to roll my grill out into my front yard on Woodland Avenue and sell burgers. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put up my little poster board that says burgers, cheeseburgers, five bucks or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. the problem is... So with the way Woodland is, you know, you the little tiny one-way street. There's parking and stuff. Anyway, so I'm driving down the street. Ooh, hamburger. That sounds good. All right, let me roll down the window, get Joe to give me a hamburger. But wait, I need some ketchup and mustard and blah, blah, blah. You know, people aren't just frisbeeing these hamburgers out right. and the car continues. So then he wants one, then the car behind him wants one, and the car behind. And then all of a sudden in a place like Woodland, you've got a verifiable traffic jam. Right. And that's what they're really looking, you know, to prevent is they want to keep, we want to keep that quality of life going and and keep commercial activity really in commercial zones because that's, you know, that it's designed to work best that way. Yeah, but, you know, my house isn't uh, zoned commercial, it's residential. So that's what I'm just kind of looking at when you're talking about the the borough or whoever was trying to be in favor of people developing small units on their property, if it's possible, as long as you're within the code guidelines and the front and rear setbacks, I guess. But yep. yeah, there you go. But, you know, we're just looking at that. You know, there's a housing crunch, or you know, big time, just like you're saying, build a garage and put a watchman's uh, room up above, or whatever you want to call it, or efficiency, you know, legalize and. Yes. Many please. Many people do that now. Do that now. Many people would appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) We need it. We've got. We've got the Noah boat coming. Like there's. Uh There's so many opportunities for growth here. And but one of the reasons I'm on the planning commission. I have little kids here, and I I love living here. I love the fact that we grew up here and that we can keep that small town feel. Um, So I think it's important to be aware of the balance of of the development while still maintaining the quality of life that we get to enjoy here. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a good scenario for you then. The old hospital that used to be right across from the Mary Francis building. Mm-hmm. Okay, that used to be, I think, about five stories tall, if not taller, and there's a big complex. That used to be an apartment complex after the hospital shut down. Then it got torn down. That would be a good location and why nobody seems to be pushing the issue more on it would be build another apartment complex next to the yellow build apartments there, you know, and uh, that Blake, would ease actually, some of the apartments. Actually, not to interrupt you, we, uh, so through Grow Ketchikan, who is now housed in the chamber offices, uh, Deborah Hayden has done an immense amount of research uh, with Alaska Housing Finance. They've got several programs and they've got several different um, approved developers uh, that uh, are, that they, they have a list. And so she reached out and actually one of the gentlemen came to town and the, the, there are grants, federal grants, state grants, so on and so forth for building these lower middle income uh, multi-use kind of buildings, just like what you're talking about. Yes. He looked at that lot and didn't want it. Wow. Because like right now, like what the homeless shelter or whatever is across the street, they got Half. like a grant, six and a half million bucks or whatever, close, give or take, you know, some money there. But now I was watching the KPU council late, I guess it's a late version. And so it's almost a done deal. He got this money funded, I think, through the Rasmussen Foundation no. or whoever else. No, no. It okay. came through Murkowski's office. It's a federal okay. deal. Okay, so they got the money funded. So here it is. He's 
gone all that way. Then all of a sudden, uh, somebody that owns the brewery next door is thinking he'd like to be involved, maybe, to purchase the property to expand his location. And I said, here it is, a chance to help out the people that could afford housing finally might be thrown out the door somewhere else now. Actually, I had a I had a follow-up conversation with Sean from Bodden Street Brewing. Okay. Uh, and we we talked about this at length. Uh, his his he was he was throwing out a possible scenario. But what his real concern was that he told me was that he would have liked to have been a more active part of the conversation. And for transparency's sake, folks, uh, you know, I'm I'm on today wearing my chamber hat, but for transparency's sake, I do sit on the path homeless shelter board. Okay? okay. So I'm very, very aware of this. One of the things that I suggested to Ty Retke and the folks over at PATH are these two things. And we this was at our board meeting. I said, if it's possible and it doesn't ruin the federal funding, I feel like the ideal use for that building, because that lot has been the subject of a parking discussion for Park Avenue as well, residents, is I said, what I would do is I would put uh, the uh, bottom level, ground level parking, right? Yes. And then yeah kind of like the yellow uh, apartment building is right next door, right? And then the next level up, I would have uh, two floors or so of uh, path uh, rooms, right, for the, for the path folks. The next level up, I would put a kind of a, a middle floor, if you will, where it would house uh, the bedrooms for the, for the path uh, staff, but then also have rooms like they have over at the Tongass uh, Federal Commons so that people from like KIC, the VA, it could come in on certain days and then people could obtain um, counseling and help. So they're getting a help, a, a hand but you know they're not we're not giving them this we're trying to get them to move on and then on the top two floors i would have a uh several efficiency apartments that are i want to say like rent capped okay so they would be like say seven hundred dollars a month but you can only rent that apartment for a period of say like one year so then you could have like 10 efficiency apartments or something like that a middle floor of service area, and then two bottom floors for those that are homeless. And if people don't know, there's a time limit that you can stay in the past shelter, and that is tightly monitored. And then you also have the, the parking issue for the neighbor, surrounding neighborhoods solved as well. That was my idea. But that's just me sitting around dreaming up silly well, yeah. stuff. Uh, the main ideal should be you guys have kicked it down the, the can down the road for so many years and they talked about it but nothing's ever been done so here's a chance to build a housing complex maybe apartment complex or whatever for maybe a lot of the local residents that are being evicted i've heard stories like after this uh, COVID funding money ended they're asked to move out and new people were moving into the apartment next door to where i live and uh but that's just it. You're talking about your kids would like to grow up here. If there's no housing affordable for them, they'll have to move south or whatever else. You know, to, And we'd all like to see our kids or grandkids grow up in this town and stick around without having to fly out of the state to visit them. You know? Sure. It's a big you know, it's a big puzzle, too, right? Like, it's, it not, it's not just affordable housing. It's also good jobs and well, education opportunities. Well, opening up this and, island, building housing and stuff like that, you know, just like 
uh, out in Saxman, they're going to have a grocery store going pretty soon, so that's going to be jobs. And hardware store. Uh huh. Okay. Then with the housing, as you build, that puts people to work, and then uh, more more money is uh, filtered throughout the system. Then that way, but well, that's what you we know have to what? do like uh, at yeah. least the borough. At least the borough is doing something. And then and then I'm going to have to let you go here in a second because we're starting mm-hmm. to run out of time. Uh, but yeah. at least the borough is doing something. The conversations that I've had with several people, and and it's very frustrating to me because I, I just like to make things happen. Right? Happen. Happen. Well, this yeah. is not a process uh, that where we can just go, oh, there we go, we're going to build 120 homes right now, despite the fact that the Coast Guard has 200 acres out north that they would like to divest themselves of. Yeah, which, you know, like even out the south end, I think, out there by Mountain Point area, all the trees that are out there, you know, on the corner, why nobody's been trying to develop all this land that's been just sitting idle for all these years, you know, but... Uh, well, I think the it's coming. The question would be, uh, how many Airbnb houses or houses have been transferred into Airbnb rentals then? I yeah. think the borough said that currently there are the last, and this was as of a couple months ago, it changes all the time, yeah. uh, there are currently a hundred, something like 170 uh, local Airbnbs. That's a lot that we're taking off the market for renters that want to live there to the day they die, maybe, or something, you know. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so. they, you know, you know, at least we're on the same webpage. There is a, a hurt for housing for a lot of the local people first before the people from down south keep coming up here and jumping on the money train to get all this free assistance. And, you know, we don't even take care of our own people hardly, you yep. know, residents. Well, hey, thanks for the call. Thanks. All right. Okay, have thanks. a great day. Bye-bye. Well, and that's, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, it's so funny because I get so many questions like, what do you do with the chamber? I'm like, I f- sometimes feel like, well, what do we not do? <laughs> so back in uh, January timeframe, um, and this was something we'd been working on for over a year, uh, the chamber launched our remote workers website called choosecatchcan.com. Cool website cool website and we thought oh maybe you know it would be nice to have like five maybe ten people over the course of a year who have a remote job want to move to catch can no in the first like month and a half we had over a hundred applicants so uh, I got together with Kyle Quinn over there at Bold Design and I said um, we got to shut this down in terms of the marketing of it uh, while the season's at least going on and, and pick up our marketing back in the fall. And then we also have to revisit this housing thing uh, because we have already had three families come and visit. Oh, my God. People want to come. And guess so what? The, we did not recruit those families. They, they really? were like, oh, that's a great website. Thank you. We're coming. So I try to facilitate them. One of the families you are working with right now um, and so I try to facilitate, you know, any information about catch can, advise them of the housing, blah, 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 point them to a chamber member realtor and, awesome. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. I'm, people want to come here. I would say, I was telling somebody the other day, I think about half my buyers that I'm working with right now are from out of town. So we're doing a lot with virtual tours, um, and lots of pictures and video walkthroughs and things like that. And people are just clamoring to come to Alaska and be here. Well, so. luckily, um, <clears throat> luckily, uh, one of the families that came, they're actually contemplating Prince of Wales Island. Yeah, I've uh, had a couple do that. 
and uh, the other, uh, the first family that came here, uh, they are specifically looking for land to build on. And that's always a fun conversation too, because building know. here is not like building in Washington, I know, or Utah, I know, I know, I know. Or Tennessee. And they're they're not coming from the normal uh, places. You know, I heard a few comments from people. Ah, we're now turn catch cannon to Seattle. No, 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 they're coming from Virginia, California, Arizona, Utah, Utah yeah. e- mm-hmm. everywhere. They're coming from. Everywhere. Hey, we're running out of time. No. Yes, I know, but you can always come back. Okay. Yeah, let's come back. This is this is fascinating. I really appreciate it, and you know, I really appreciate you guys being members of the chamber. Real quick, since we've got just a few minutes left, tell us about your new brand. Oh, thanks. I love that I have gotten to, I've joined now with eXp Realty, which is a global uh, real estate firm, and they have over 80,000, over 83,000 agents now ac- across the country. We're in over 80 countries. Um, it was just serendipitous on how I came on board with eXp, kind of a journey that started back in December, and still a little bit in the learning process. What it, it really shouldn't mean anything for my clients Meaning about here. their processes. Yeah, right. I'm still learning a little bit. Uh, you know, just to, because part of the reason why I joined is to make my business more efficient and more effective for my clients, Mm -hmm. right? So things like technology, um, instant resources, so that you can get on and see exactly where you are in your transaction and uh, whether it's midnight or noon or any time of the day or night and figure out, okay, what do we have left to get to the closing table? Um, Lots of those technology resources is one of the biggest reasons why I joined eXp Realty. It's, uh, and then... (laughs) One of the other things is that they needed a, um, a branch down here in Southeast Alaska because the way the EXP works is there's one broker for every state. So I've um, now the associate broker for the EXP Realty Southeast Alaska branch, and I'm very excited to, to do that and, nice. and network with people all over the state of Alaska. And Your office is still in the same spot, though. Office still in the same spot. Website still realestateandcatchcan.com. Um, I'm just hoping to be bringing more resources and tools to to clients and to sellers. Yay, good job. Yeah, thank I'm you. I'm so happy to see that. That's so cool. Thank you. All right, folks. Hey, that'll do it for Business Matters Monday. But if you want to replay any of these episodes, we've got a link to them at catchcanchamber.com. That will do it for today. Have a great rest of your week.